Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's up, everyone? This is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. Episode 10 of the podcast. We are finally in double digits, folks. Thanks to all of you who are listening, who tunes in every single week. I love you guys really much. I very, very appreciate it. I'm actually recording on July 4th, so happy July 4th, putos. Happy Independence Day, even though our rights are slowly being taken away nonstop. Um, not to get political on the podcast, just the state of this country is fucking pathetic, to be honest with you. Literally pathetic. Um, the country just goes to shit every single day. Like, you can blame the left, you can blame the right, you can blame whoever you want. Either way, it's still going to shit. Both parties suck. Let's be real here. Doesn't matter which political party you support, they're both kind of suck ass. Um, and yeah, this country is pathetic. But either way, I am American. I'm happy to be an American. I currently wouldn't want to live anywhere else in the world, but this country is ass. So episode 10 of the podcast here, and we're going to be going over UFC 276 just this just past weekend. Um, I believe International Fight Week is come to a close. Um, I just feel like International Fight Week cards... They've been lackluster the last couple of years for the most part. I know the last two years we technically didn't have it around this time. But I, I just feel like it hasn't been that great. I still want to go next year. I'm planning on going next year. Just to, I don't really care about to watch the pay-per-view live or anything. But more so just like the, all the fan interactions and that kind of shit. Just to go there and see what it's all about. So I'm doing that next year. But I'm going to get into the fights this past weekend, I'm going to start off with Jalen Turner against Brad Riddell, the first card on the main event. So in my last episode, right, I did say if Jalen Turner was going to win, it was going to be by submission. And my God, he won by submission. Now, I had money on Brad Riddell. I had money on Brad Riddell because I thought Brad Riddell is the more experienced striker, the far better striker. He is a veteran. He has more fight experience. Um, Jalen Turner is still young and new in his career, so I thought, I'm going to put money on Riddell. If there's ever plus money on Riddell, I'm going to put money on Riddell. And, dude, right off the gate, Jalen Turner hits him with a drab, rocks him. Brad Riddell shoots for a takedown right away. Um, Jalen Turner jumps guillotine, was able to submit Brad Riddell. Dude, and it happened the first 30 seconds. If you're able to do that to Brad Riddell, you're seriously, you're no one to be fucked with. You're the real deal. Jalen Turner is the real deal. He proved himself that he is a real deal. Granted, I would have liked a little to see a little bit more from him. Just a little bit more from him to see how he can compete with someone on the feet as someone such as Brad Riddell. But we saw what we needed to see. And dude, he is the real deal. So shout out to Jalen Turner. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him in his, uh, his next fight. Then we have Sean O'Malley against Pedro Munoz. Now, before I even get into the fight... There's one thing that I've, I'm seeing on like Twitter and everywhere else that you know fight fans like to conjugate. Everyone's saying how Pedro Muno just wanted out or that Pedro Munoz was losing. First off, Pedro Munoz was not losing. 
he was winning that he won the first round and he was won the second round. When you look at the judge's scorecard, he won the first round. There's only one judge that gave it to to Sean O'Malley, which that judge is a fucking idiot. I don't know which one. But dude, he was winning by the judge's scorecard criteria. Page Sean O'Malley didn't do anything in the first round. Pedro Munoz came in. He was using effective leg kicks. We said his right off the gate. Pedro Munoz is a veteran and he does throw a lot of great leg kicks. On top of that, he has a chin on him. The dude, I don't think he ever really been stopped, or he's been stopped like once or twice his entire career, something like that. So this notion that, you know, Sean O'Malley is gonna go in there and just blow him out the water, I was telling everyone, like, listen, we haven't seen anything for Sean O'Malley yet, really. Most of the fights that he's, you know, most of the fighters that he fought so far, they've been kind of, you know, like gimme fights. They've been, you know, he's been fighting people that are not the same caliber as him. And when we saw him fight against someone who is in the same caliber as him, which was Cheeto Vera, we saw how that go. Granted, it was kind of like a, uh, I don't want to say a freak accident, but, you know, Cheeto was hitting him with the leg kicks and his nerve, you know, went went off and he couldn't really stand on it anymore. And that would cause the TKO at the very end, etc. We don't, that's like a one, one a million chance of happening just in fights in general. So I would love to see them run it back to see how that goes. But either way, we seen Sean O'Malley go against the top guy, and it didn't fare well for him. We seen him fight guys who are not within his 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 competition level. He puts them away. So we really haven't seen much from Sean O'Malley. This fight was going to show us if Sean O'Malley is ready, if he's ready for the big leagues, is he ready to fight these top contenders, these monsters in that division? And from what I've saw so far, bro, Sean was losing. Sean lost that first round. Pedro Munoz did effective leg kicks that first round. He didn't follow up with any hands. He didn't do any striking regarding, you know, punching-wise. It was all just leg kicks, which I would have loved to see him follow up from the leg kicks or start throwing some combinations because a lot of those leg kicks Sean O'Malley did check too. I don't want to just say Sean O'Malley was getting his legs beat out from under him. That's not the case. He was getting hit with some, some nasty leg kicks, but he checked a lot of them. He did check a lot of them. So that first round he lost the second round he was losing too the first round he kicked Pedro Muiz in the balls so that's a foul the second round Sean O'Malley poked Pedro Muiz in the eyes poked him in the eye and that, and that poke was pretty bad um and even before then he was losing that round still Pedro Muiz was doing the same thing he did in that first round he was winning on points he wasn't doing anything sexy he wasn't dominating the fight he was just winning on points and Sean O'Malley just wasn't throwing he wasn't throwing any kicks he, he was just waiting for that big strike. He was waiting for Pedro Muiz to slip up. And dude, Pedro Muiz is a veteran. You can't just wait. You can't just sit there and wait for the big strike. Through volume, through throwing volume, through throwing combinations is where you find a big strike. I swear to God, I think I say this at least once a week. I really do, I really do think I say this once a week. Because we see it so many times when a fighter is just, they're not throwing combinations not throwing anything waiting for the big strike and they're sitting there and their opponent is just winning on points they're not devastatingly losing but they're just losing just off points you have to throw you have to start throwing these combinations don't be reckless but you have to start throwing something you can't just wait there for a big strike that's not that's never going to win you the round never because if you don't get that big strike you just lost a round and then when it's a three-round fight you can't afford to be losing rounds so Pedro Munoz gets poked in the eye. He can't see anymore. His eye was closed shut. A lot of people on Twitter were saying, oh, he wanted out of the fight. Why would Pedro Munoz want out of a fight that he was winning? He was clearly winning. He won the first round. 
clearly won the second round. If Sean didn't get a stoppage, he was going to lose that fight and coming into the third round. So why would he want out in a fight that he's already winning? And when you look at the pictures afterwards of Pedro Munoz with, like, hanging out for everyone, his eye is swollen. Like, that eye is completely swollen and is swollen shut. So it was a bad eye poke. And here, here's the thing. At the end of the day, Sean O'Malley caused the foul. He did two fouls. He kicked Pedro Munoz in the balls, and he poked Pedro Munoz in the eye. If that fight, if the fight wasn't stopped and he was able to continue, I personally thought Sean O'Malley should have got a point taken away. Because you committed two fouls already, bro. We gave you a warning in the in the, the, the kicking of the balls. And now you just poke someone in the eye. That's two fouls. Like, in a three-round fight, we can't just be letting this motherfucker do all the fouls that he wants and no repercussions for it. So if the fight would have continued, I would have liked the, the referee to take a point of Sean O'Malley. And he was already losing that round. So that would have been considered a 10-8 round. So he definitely, if he didn't get to finish in the third round, would have lost the fight. So why would Pedro Munoz want out in the fight that he's already winning? And top of it, he's a veteran. Like, he's been in wars. That fight was not a war. He didn't get touched up at all. So... It just, it really doesn't make sense at all. And I understand as to why Sean O'Malley wasn't throwing too much because Pedro Munoz does have power in his hands too. But here's the thing. You have to, if you're not, you, you can't be reckless, of course, with someone who has power, but you have to throw. So I would like the fight to get run back. I would like to see how it, you know, goes. I, But just this notion that, you know, MMA fans are shitting on Pedro Munoz because... He got poked in the eye and he couldn't continue. Like, bro, have you ever been poked in the eye? Like, you know how bad an eye poke is? A good example of this is a Jeremy Stevens-Jair fight. Jair, at the very opening bell, fucking poked Jeremy Stevens in the eye. Jeremy Stevens couldn't continue. Everyone was shitting on Jeremy Stevens until Jeremy Stevens showed them that, yo, I had a cut cornea. My cornea was cut. If I would have kept fighting, I would have gone blind. So... This notion that, oh, you know, he could have continued. He's being a wimp. Bro, these are professional fighters. They're not going to just wimp out and, you know, call the fight and not want to fight anymore when the dude wasn't even taking any damage. So just that whole notion, that whole mindset, to me personally, I just think it's fucking retarded. I just think it's retarded. I think it's not accurate at all either. Not accurate at all. I want to get into Robbie Lawler against Barbarina. Now... I have to be honest. I really have to be honest. I tend to shit on old guy fights. I really do. I really, really do. When people like Donald Cerrone are fighting, or Jim Miller, or Robbie Lawler, or like a Nate Diaz, or you know some of these old guy fights, I don't really. They don't get me hard. They don't get my dick hard. They don't. They really don't. I don't really care to see them that much because it. It's just two old guys going at it. Barbarina's not that old, but in, in these situations, this is an old guy, you know, fighting a, a another older guy, another guy that it, it really doesn't matter as far as the trajectory of the division and nothing changes. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really give a shit about this. Like, I think he should retire anyway. But I, I was kind of wrong about this fight. This fight was very entertaining for as long as it lasted. That first round, we saw some very good boxing. Very good boxing. Both men were just in the phone booth trading. And it wasn't just like two guys just throwing at it, just trying to give each other CTE. No type of technique. Just whoever is the, the mentally toughest and you know whoever has the biggest cojones wins. It wasn't like that at all. 
both men, even though they were in the phone booth and it was phone booth fighting, you saw a lot of parrying. You saw a lot of, you know, ducking and dodging and rolling under punches from both guys. It was a very interesting to see. It's just high-level boxing. And for an entire round, literally the whole round, these two dudes are just throwing, man. I think Barbarina had the most significant strikes ever in the welterweight division. As far as strikes thrown, I think that first round he threw like almost like 300 strikes or some crazy fucking number like that. So the dude has stamina. His stamina is not an issue. But to see that high-level boxing from two older into two fighters, it was a very entertaining round. And I was like, oh shit, this round's actually really good. Like Robbie looks good. Robbie looks like his younger self. I like this. Um, I think Robbie did get the better of the exchanges in the first round. I think Barbarina did a good job utilizing that jab and most of the punches he was throwing was just just to touch Robbie Lawler just touching him just touching him just touching him just keeping him at bay to make sure he's not throwing any powerful shots but I think Robbie got the better of him the striking in the first round now the second round was interesting because now they were fighting at a larger range they're starting to fight at a larger range which Barbarina I mean Robbie Lawler he was doing good that first that that first half of the second round he got rocked. Barbarina did a very good job not just swarming Robbie Lawler. He really took his time, made sure that he landed effective striking, was timing his shots well, was landing them well. He wasn't just swarming his opponent and trying to get, the, trying to get you know Robbie Lawler away. But eventually, Robbie Lawler was out on his feet. I think the stoppage was good. I'm impressed with Barbarina. Now, here's the inconvenient truth. Here's the Al Gore. Some of you are going to get that joke. If you get the joke, I love you. If not, you're either too young or uneducated. But either way, here's the inconvenient truth. One, Robbie Lawler in his prime would have never lost to someone like Barbarina. I'm sorry to say it. And I'm not trying to shit on Barbarina. Barbarina was a good fighter. Very good fighter. He just beat Robbie Lawler. But Robbie in his prime would have never lost to a guy like Barbarina. When Robbie Lawler is fighting Condit and Roy McDonald's, during that time period and when you know Robbie's in his prime he would have never lost to someone like Barbarina that level of talent was just too far in between so I think it's time for Robbie to hang it up man Robbie had a good career he's been fighting for forever I think he's been fighting since 98 definitely early 2000s because I saw him fight in the early 2000s but I think he started in 98 bro that's 20 something years ago like it He's been in wars. He's been in wars. Like some of the greatest fights of all time are wars that he's been in. Like the Condit fight that I was referencing before. The Roy McDonald's fight. Like, bro, there are wars. It's just, it's time for him to hang it up, man. I think it's time for him to hang it up. I think he should have hung it up when he beat Nate Diaz. When he beat Nate, I think that was the time for him to hang it up. But now I would like to see him retire. I don't want to see him taking any more abuse from now on. But it was a very entertaining fight for what it lasted. And it, it, it's not a bad thing to go out in a loss, especially when it's like this. When you were throwing down, you were looking good, and a younger man just got to you. So I think, I really do think he should hang it up. Now I went against a streakling against Pereira. Jesus Christ. Dude, I, I, don't, I don't like insulting fighters. I really don't. I'm an outspoken person, so at times, like, I'm going to rub people the wrong way, and I'm going to rub these fighters the wrong way, because I'm going to tell them stuff that they don't want to hear. I don't like insulting fighters. That being said, Sean Strickland is a fucking idiot. 
I'm sorry. Strong Stricken is an idiot. That game plan was the worst game plan of all time. Why would you sit there, be a kickboxing range with your hands down, your chin in the air against a glory kickboxer who's known to just fucking put people away? He's like a middleweight Naganu. He knocks people into fucking orbit. He puts them to sleep. Why are you at kickboxing range with a, with a former kickboxing champion? That makes no fucking sense. It doesn't make any sense. It straight up does not make any sense. And on top of that, he didn't shoot for a takedown, not once. I understand if he shot for a takedown in the beginning to make Pereira scared of the takedown and to kind of swarm swarm Pereira with, um, you know, striking because Strickland's game is more so volume of anything. But he didn't even do that, bro. He wasn't throwing. He wasn't threatening with the takedown. He's literally has his his hands down below his chin, chin in the air, walking forward, marching forward to Pereira, flat-footed, and got knocked the fuck out. It's the worst fight IQ and the worst game plan I've ever seen in my entire life. In my entire life. Now, I don't know. I have to, I would love, I, I really don't, before I get into it, I don't like watching, you know, interviews when people are interviewing the coaches. Because the coaches are always going to say a lot of bullshit. Like, oh, it was the best fight camp ever. He never looked as good, etc., etc., etc. So I don't like watching it. But I'm, I'm definitely going to watch the interview of Strickland's coach saying what happened in that fight. Because I'm pretty sure that wasn't the game plan. That couldn't have been the game plan. Because I remember, because he trains with Shemaev. I remember when Shemaev was being an idiot and just, you know, throwing caution to the wind against Gilbert Burns. And they're like, bro, stick to the fucking game plan. What are you doing? Like, you're fighting stupid. Probably that was the case with Sean Strickland too. And they're like, dude, like that wasn't the game plan. You're fighting stupid. I'm pretty sure that was the case. If that's not the case, you need to find better coaches because that game plan was fucking terrible. It's the worst game plan I've ever seen. The fight IQ was to the floor. It was no, it was non-existent. It was literally non-existent. I was watching it and I was upset. I bet money on Strickland. I'm going to be honest with you. I bet money on Strickland. I don't really like Strickland as a person. He says a lot of dumb shit and he gets away with it. And a lot of it is insensitive and it, it makes... The whole MMA community, MMA fan base look bad. So I'm not a fan of him. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just not a fan of the shit he says. So I bet on him because I thought, you know what? He's very experienced MMA. He's a good fighter. He trains with high-level grapplers. So if he's smart, and I said it in my last episode, if Strickland is smart, he will shoot for the takedown. He will try to grapple. If he's smart, I said, if he's smart, he's going to grapple. If he's an idiot, he's going to get knocked out. If he starts to stand with Pereira, he's going to get knocked out. That's exactly what happened. He stood with Pereira in a horrible fucking game plan and got knocked the fuck out. Now, I lost money. I lost money. I'm not mad at that. I'm mad at the terrible fucking game plan that he utilized. Like, if you're going to lose, but you utilize a good game plan, cool. You did the best of your abilities. But you lost because you're an arrogant idiot. Because you wanted to stand there in front of a fucking... Glory level, glory kickboxer at kickboxing range when a dude has serious knockout power. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. You're good. I'm not really big on fans ridiculing fighters either or making memes and stuff like this, but bro, you deserve it. 100% you deserve it. One, you're being an asshole in in a press conference. You are talking shit to Pereira. You're saying that you can be any Glory kickboxer, which is funny because Glory, the Twitter account for, for Glory kickboxing, 
they immediately, once Shuriken got knocked out, started making memes of like, oh, he says he can beat the, any glory kickboxer gets knocked out in a few in a few seconds. Which you deserve. You deserve all the memes that are coming at you, bro. You deserve it, 100%. Because you talked all this shit, you have a terrible fucking game plan, and you got knocked out. So I don't really feel bad for the memes that are coming his way, for him being ridiculed, for him shitting on him for his terrible game plan, because that's what it was. He was just flexing his ego. He fought with his dick. He literally fought with his dick. He fought with the wrong head. He's like, you know what? I want to make a statement. I want to beat this guy at, at what he's best at. And he got he got viciously knocked the fuck out. So it was just a terrible game plan, man. As I was watching it, I was losing my fucking mind. I'm like, bro, he's going to get knocked out. Like, why are you fighting this way? When he got knocked out, I'm like, bro, he's just a fucking idiot. Like, why? I don't understand. I don't understand. Granted, I'm not mad at him getting knocked out either because this fight is interesting now on Asanya against Pereira. Pereira beat him twice in kickboxing, knocked him out viciously the last time they fought. Adesanya was winning that fight up until he got knocked the fuck out. But either way, got knocked the fuck out. So I know that this, this fight is going to sell. This fight is going to sell. I'm going to get into it later. But this fight, immediately just a storyline alone. Is gonna sell. I'm excited for it. I want to see it. I think if Pereira can't beat Anasanya middleweight, no one's beating Anasanya middleweight. Period. If Pereira can't do it, no one can do it. No one can do it. So I'm excited to see that fight. And dude, just a terrible fucking game plan, man. Like I, I don't even. I, it's just a terrible game plan all around. Now I want to get into Max Holloway against Alexander Volkanovski. So this is the third fight in the trilogy. Volkanovski won the first one, but he won it off leg kicks. I think that's that's uh, everyone says that across the board. It was a it was a good fight. It was a close fight, but those egg kicks really edged um, Volkanovski out for the victory. The second fight, Max won. Everyone know Max won, and, and Max dropped him twice in the first and the second. Um, it was just a clear victory for Max, but the judges, of course, got it wrong. So this third fight, two men fight two other people. Volkanovski for Ortega and um, Korean Zombie and looked very good. Max Holloway fought Calvin Cater and Yair and looked good. So both men fought different opponents. Now they're coming back for the third time. And I'm before I even get into it, I'm a huge Max fan. Max is one of my favorite fighters of all time. If you're an MMA fan and Max is not within your top five or top ten, there's something wrong with you. Like I love Max. I love who he is as a person. I love his fighting style. He's, he's always be one of my favorite fighters of all time. So this one was kind of heartbreaking, man. And I, I, I wasn't necessarily rooting for one or the other fighter. I wasn't rooting for, for Volkanovski. I wasn't rooting for Max. I really wanted to see how this fight was going to play out. But it's disappointing to me because it was so thorough. It was so disappointing to me because the fight was so thorough. It didn't leave a what if. Because the second fight left the what if. And everyone for years were debating, you know, what if they fall a third time? How would it look? Volkanovski is the better man. And it was a thorough beating. A 50, he 50-45 Max Holloway, which is fucking insane. 50-45 Max Holloway, which is literally insane. But it was just a, he outclassed him. He literally outclassed him. In every way, he outclassed him. Now, Volkanovski, one, his speed was just too much for Max. He was landing everything accurately, and he was throwing for authority. It was interesting because in this fight, I didn't really see Volkanovski throwing a lot of feints. The whole city kickboxing, they're, what they're known for is, of course, striking, but more so feinting. 
They're very good when it comes to feigning. They utilize feigning. They're one of the first people in MMA to start utilizing feints. So typically, Volkanovski is a master at feints, and all he does is feint to throw his opponents off and constant stance switching. He was doing a lot of stance switching this time, but he wasn't feigning at all. And he was throwing, man. Like, usually Volkanovski doesn't throw that hard, but this time he was throwing with authority. And he was fast, too. His hands are faster. His hands are by far faster than Max's. It was too much for Max to handle. He was throwing with authority. There was times where he was hitting Max. I'm like, yo, he might even drop Max at some of these times. I was expecting Max to get dropped. I wasn't expecting Max to, you know, get knocked out or anything like that. But I was expecting him to get dropped for the first time ever because he was throwing with some big fucking shots and he was landing on authority and he was flat-footed the whole time um it was really interesting to see that and max when he was trying to um you know utilize some of his striking Volkanovski was just rolling under those punches and who always get the the last of the exchanges every single time the exchange max would 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 you know, hit Volkanovski once or twice, but Volkanovski was just laying that big, powerful shot at the end. And that was just, that was the fight. That was literally the fight all five rounds. All five rounds, that was the fight. I think you could have gave Max round three or round four. I have to go back and watch it, one or the other. But besides that, dude, Max just got outclassed. When Max tried to get grapple, Volkanovski was a bigger, stronger guy. He was able to reverse position right away. Max just got outclassed, man. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Max looked off. This wasn't Max's best performance either. This is the best. This is arguably the best performance from Volkanovski, and this is arguably one of the worst performances for Max. And I'm not trying to make an excuse for Max. I'm a fan of Max, but he visibly looked off. Like during the fight press conferences and the interviews and all that stuff, everyone says, "Yo, Max doesn't look too good. Max looked kind of bad." Like, maybe it was a bad weight cut. Maybe he has an undisclosed injury that we're probably going to be aware of sometime this week. But he just didn't look good. Visibly, he didn't look good. And then the octagon, he didn't look good either. His timing was off. His timing was off. He looked visibly slower. He just didn't look good. He simply just didn't look good. And my guess is either... Some people are saying maybe he just aged overnight. Maybe all the damage caught up with him like out of nowhere, which it could happen. It could happen. He he does have a lot of mileage on him. He's only 30 years old, but he has a lot of mileage. So that could be the case. I don't think it's the case, but it could be the case. I'm not going to overrule it and write it out. What I think is, I think it's a combination between maybe a bad weight cut. He's been making that weight cut forever and at times it's difficult for him. And as you get older in age, it starts to get more difficult to make these weight cuts. So maybe it could have been a weight cut issue. Um, or I think it was just some kind of issue with the weight cut or undisclosed injury and the lack of sparring because he doesn't do any sparring. He's been saying, you know, the last two years that he doesn't do any sparring. He's doing heavy sparring um, all his career and he, you know, he'll get into wars in the sparring room and, and, uh, you know, that, that, that was causing so much damage to him. So he says with the lack of sparring has been helping him. And we've seen, you know, him against Caden, we thought, oh, maybe he doesn't need the sparring. But after the air fight, the air fight, he was doing pretty good, but he was really starting to lose on the feet up there too. And this fight, he was just completely outclassed and the timing was off and everything was off. So maybe it was just a lack of sparring. Maybe he's just not used to people throwing at him full speed, full force, and his timing wasn't right, his accuracy wasn't right, so maybe just that lack of sparring from day to day, in and out, is what caused him to not look that good. It could be it, man. It really could be it, and 
I'm not judging him saying, oh, you don't need sparring. I do think all fighters need sparring, but I don't think you need to do hard sparring. I, don't, I think you should, if you're going to spar, be like the ties, whereas you're touching your opponents here and there, here and there. If you're going to do a hard spar, do it rarely. Do it, you know, once a fight camp, twice a fight camp, if that, so you're not damaging yourself too much or taking too much damage. Maybe that lack of sparring is finally caught up to him. But, dude, the chapter's closed, man. It's closed. The rivalry is done. It's over. It's thorough. Alexander Volkanovsky is a better fighter. And we we are hearing and seeing a lot here and there now that who's the best featherweight of all time, Aldo, Max, or Volkanovsky. Going into this fight, I said it's either Volkanovsky or Max. I'm not trying to over I'm not trying to overlook what Aldo did. Aldo out of all of them has the longest run at featherweight as a champion. That's the longest run. I'm not trying to overlook that. But here's the thing too. Aldo lost twice to Max. He got TKO'd by Max. He got stopped. Then Aldo lost to Volkanovski. I can't have you above two guys that you lose, that you lost to, when you haven't avenged those losses. Like, how can I say you're the greatest featherweight of all time when you lost to two other featherweights and you, you didn't beat them? So it just doesn't make any sense to me. As far as who has a better, like, reign, title reign, then obviously Aldo. But the greatest feather of all time, I can't give it to Aldo for that reason. So it went to Max or Volkanovski. I said the winner of this is arguably the greatest featherweight of all time. And honestly, as far as all-around talent-wise, I think Volkanovski is the best featherweight we've ever seen so far. I think he's the best featherweight we've ever seen so far. I think Volkanovski, prime Volkanovski, on his best day, beats any other featherweight, any other featherweight champion ever. Um, and not, I'm not trying to say that just for recency bias, but from everything that we've seen up until this point. Now, Volkanovski, he was also saying he wants to go up to 155 and challenge for the title, which I'm here for it. Like, I'm not saying there's nothing left for him at featherweight. There is stuff left for him at featherweight. There are some matches that I would love for him to still love to see from him. But I think he earned going up a weight division to try to be a double champ and pursue greatness. He earned it. He defended his belt three times. He closed a trilogy on a fighter that, you know, that's basically the second best in the division. So I think he earned it. I think he deserves to get back up there and fight a Charles Oliveira, whoever is going to be holding the title when he decides to go up there and fight for the belt. Now, will he win in that division? That's a whole other story. I'm not going to get into it for the sake of time. But I think he earned it. Now, he did say he wants to be active in both divisions. I don't know if he'll be able to do that. We've never seen a champion really do that. I mean, we've seen Amanda Nunes do that. But then again, that 145 women's division is a joke because it's not even a real division. But And she she was defending 145 with neglecting 135 for years too. So it wasn't like she was really defending both. So I don't know if it's possible. He'll be the first person to attempt it if he can win the belt at 155. But... I think he deserves the opportunity to do so, 100%. I would love, and there's some fighters at 145 that I'd love to see. Like, I would love to see Volkanovski fight a Yair Rodriguez or, you know, uh, a Saryukian or a Gamrot or maybe even Cejudo if he comes out of retirement. Like, those are all uh, Bryce Mitchell, um, Giga Chikadi if he's able to, to get up there and get a couple wins. Like, there's a lot of good fights that we can see from Volkanovski skill. He hasn't cleared out his division. So I'm excited to see all those fights. Um, and I, I do think that he deserves to fight for the 155 belt. 
I think Oliveira should fight Islam, then the winner of that should fight Volkanovski. And if, bro, Oliveira beats Islam, then he beats Volkanovski, greatest lightweight of all time. But we're not going to get into that. Now I want to get into the main event, Anasanya against Cannoneer. This fight played out exactly how we thought it was going to play out. It played out exactly how we thought it was going to play out. I, I think Cannoneer won round three. If that, maybe. But I think Anasanya clearly won the best. First, I want to get into the walkout. I fucking hate the theatrics and walkouts. It kind of annoys me. Like, bro, get the fuck to the octagon. Like, I don't want it to be like pride when it's just, it gets overdone too much and everyone has this crazy ass, weird ass walkout. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just not a fan of it. So just get your ass to the octagon. Let's start the fight. And I'm not a fan of pro wrestling. I love the Undertaker, but I'm not a fan of pro wrestling. So like, come on, just get the fuck, get to the octagon. It's the main event. Like, let's go. It's fucking one in the morning. I'm tired as fuck. And I have to watch you beat this dude down for 25, 30 minutes. Like, let's, let's get it moving. Get, get to the fuck the octagon already. But the fight played out exactly how we thought it was going to play out. And someone mentioned this. I don't know who, who did. But they said Anasanya's leg kick is like his jab, which is very accurate. He follows everything up after the leg kicks. He used the leg kicks to, to gain points and to stop his opponent's movement. It's literally like his jab. Now... One thing that I've noticed for Anasanya is that he was a lot more aggressive this fight than he was in his previous fights. He was really aggressive in this fight. He was really going after it and touching up Kenanir and touching up his opponent. Um, that we haven't seen in his last couple of fights. Now, he's still, of course, Anasanya is a very cautious fighter. He's not stupid. So he was still on the cautious side, but he was standing there and trading with Kenanir. He wasn't, you know getting out of the way or circling the octagon. He was there at kickboxing range. He was exchanging with Kanir. And Kanir just wasn't able to touch him, wasn't able to effectively utilize any striking or grappling at that. He just wasn't able to do it. Um, Anasanya was just a level or two above Kanir. Simply put it at that, a level or two above Kanir. Now, I'm, I'm really not going to get too much into that fight because... There wasn't really too much to go over. Like, Anasanya used effective striking. He used leg kicks to gain her points. He was a little bit more aggressive this time more than the other. Cannoneer uh, uh, couldn't ne never really get going. Um, it, it, he just got outclassed. He just simply put it, got outclassed. Now, the next fight up is going to be Pereira against Anasanya, which is going to be extremely interesting. But before I do that, there's one thing that I've been wondering that I, I don't really have the answer to, which is Anasanya's fights, right? He's very cautious. They're not very exciting most of the times. He's had like two exciting fights in his career, which is the Gaslam fight and the first Robert Whittaker fight. Besides that, it's been, you know, he's been just piecing up his opponents, not putting them away for the, the, the remainder of his career in MMA. So what I don't understand is how is he a big draw? Because every time he fights in main events, the crowd boos. These last couple of fights, dude, they were just booing. They were booing him. They were like, oh, this is boring. There was videos of people leaving the fight like midway because they knew Anasana was going to win. So I don't understand how is he a draw when he, he always gets boos by the casual fans, by you know everyone who's in attendance. Um, everyone knows that his fights are not going to be necessarily that exciting because he is so cautious. So it's just, it's interesting to see that. I'm guessing he's just a draw just off personality-wise and people love him and find him interesting in that. 
but usually people are draws because of their fighting style and you know they they're exciting to see and Undecided was never really that exciting to see for me he's exciting to see because i love technical striking i love when someone who is technically sound and basically technically perfect and who can outclass their opponents but from a casual standpoint when casuals only want knockouts and that kind of shit it's not the most entertaining so i always found that kind of baffling a little bit but i went against a Pereira against Alessandra. now that fight is the next fight up and that fight is going to be interesting because Anasanya has evolved since kickboxing. Pereira still has a kickboxing stance and doesn't grapple or anything like that. But Anasanya has evolved since then. His, I think his striking was always suited more towards MMA than kickboxing in general because his stance is very wide and he fights at a range because he's, of course, always the bigger guy in his opponents that he's fighting. Now, this time around, him and Pereira, I think, are basically, dis- I think they're exactly the same height. And uh, reach-wise, I think Anasanya's reach is a little bit more. But besides that, I don't see Anasanya fighting at kickboxing range against Pereira. So it's going to be a very interesting fight to see. I don't expect this death, their third fight to look like the first two fights that he did in kickboxing. Of course, this is a different sport, and Anasanya evolved since then. Maybe Anasanya utilized some grappling. I think it will be smart if he's able to. I don't know if that's in his arsenal to even do so. But it's going to be an interesting fight, and I'm very, very, very excited to see this fight. And Anasanya made some corny-ass comment after about, I forgot what it was, something about Elsa. It was pretty cringe. Um, maybe you should work on those. But if Anasanya is able to get past Pereira, I think he should make the move full-time to light heavyweight. Because there will simply be nothing left for him at middleweight. He'll just be fighting the same guys over and over and over again. Which can be boring for the fans and can be boring for you as a fighter defending your belt. So might as well pursue greatness one more time and try to go up to the division. And I would favor Anasanya at a healthy 205 at the exact weight for the weight class against Yuri Prohaska, some of the other guys in that division. But it was it, it, it was the fight played out exactly how we knew it was going to. No offense to Cannoneer, he tried his best. He, uh, he he really gave it, I wouldn't say he gave it all out there because he didn't empty the tank and those later rounds. He didn't really go after it at the fourth round, the fifth round, a little bit towards the very end of the fifth round, but not necessarily. I think his corner gave good advice in that fifth round saying he's down for one at most. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it played out exactly how it was going to play out. Now I want to get into MMA news and drama. So Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler get into it case side at UFC 276. I'm not sure as to why they got into it. I don't know if that's if anyone knows as of yet. But we saw they were arguing at UFC 276. There's videos of it. I do think it'll be an interesting fight. Why not make the fight? I but then again, Chandler says he wants to fight at 170, so maybe that won't be the best fight to make. But dude, if both if both dudes are, you know, going after it and both men are I mean, Chandler's coming off a win. Dustin's coming off a loss. Dustin really just wants big fights now. Chandler wants big fights now. He says he's here for a good time, not a long time. Let's make the fight. It'll be interesting. It'll be a very interesting, good fight. Or I would personally would rather see Dustin against Gaethje too. That's even more interesting. But we just saw the video of circulating of those two dudes arguing. So we're going to see what it means. Um, Cowboy retires after submission loss against Jim Miller. 
And I 100% agree with this. I am happy that Cowboy's retiring. I'm not shitting on Cowboy. He was a great... here's, Here's the issue, man. People don't really know how good Cowboy is. This newer generation of MMA fans, they don't understand how good Cowboy was. Cowboy was the man. When the UF when in WEC days, Cowboy was the man. When when WEC went from got merged into UFC, those beginning few years, Cowboy is the man. He was such a different fighter than he is now. He wasn't this guy on this massive losing streak. He was putting motherfuckers away. Cowboy was that dude. He was excited. He was always an exciting fighter to see. But these last few years, man, fighting past his prime and just taking these these non-stop losses, I was just tired of seeing him fight. I was straight up tired of seeing him fight. I didn't want to see Cowboy fight anymore. I didn't want to see it. So I'm happy that he's retiring. I'm happy he's not taking his damage anymore. He had a great career. He had a great run. It, it was starting to look bad towards the end, but I'm happy that he's finally he's finally putting it away. Now, Eugene Behrman says that Pereira doesn't deserve a title shot, but Adelson is going to give it to him anyway. The truth is he doesn't deserve it. Pereira, in reality, doesn't deserve the title shot. He only fought three dudes coming in. Granted, he fought the number four in the division, but the UFC definitely fast-tracked this guy. And I think they, they I think the UFC, in most cases, you don't want to fast-track people, but I think they were, they were right to fast-track Pereira because, one, the middleweight division is boring. There's really not much going on in the middle of the division because the champion has been so dominant. And you have someone who has beat the champion before, granted, in another combat sport, but has beat the champion before, has knocked out the champion before. So that storyline is going to sell. On top of that, with the division being so dead, you should... They were right to fast track him. Does he necessarily deserve it? I'm with Eugene Barron. Behrman. I don't think he really deserves it, to be honest with you, when you look at the criteria of earning a title shot. But with the division being dead and having that that you know that prior pass with the champion, I think it was smart in the UFC for fast tracking this guy and kind of you know they really picked his opponents. They didn't give him any wrestlers. They really didn't. didn't they didn't give him any great. They gave him someone like Derek Brunson who can wrestle. Um, they gave him primarily strikers, which if he's going to fight a striker, Pereira, especially if it's a kickboxer range, is going to win. So I don't I don't disagree with UFC fast-tracking the dude, but I do agree with Behrman. I don't think Pereira necessarily earned the title shot there. Now we have Valerie Reda goes to WWE. She retires from MMA. I don't think this is a bad decision because Valerie Areta came to MMA very late in her career. She, she, I think she was like established in Taekwondo. I believe it was Taekwondo. She was fairly established in Taekwondo. Came to MMA. She won the fight, but besides that, basically anyone who wrestles or grapples her, they were going to win. So development-wise, it wasn't going to be that great for her. She is a pretty face, is attractive woman. She has a very big fan base because she is attractive. I, I talked about this last week. She really wasn't the best fighter ever. She had a lot of holes in her game, but because she was attractive, you know, everyone gravitated towards her and wanted to see her fight. And she had a following just for that reason. It's a shame because some of these other only fi- women fighters who are very good, um, they're not as attractive, but they get no following or you know people don't especially dudes who are perverts in this fucking MMA sphere, don't really want to see them because they're not eye candy. So uh, don't get me wrong. If I'm happy that she got the 
recognition she does, that she got when she was fighting in MMA, even if it was just because she's attractive, because I want to see people start watching MMA and and you know have women's MMA the same of the same respect and you know and look at it as the same as men's MMA. But she she was just famous because she was attractive. Let's call it for what it is. She went to WWE, which I think is more suited for her anyway. I really didn't see her going that far in MMA. I think this is a better choice than something like BKFC. Um, and as long as she's getting paid, I'm happy for her. As long as she's getting paid, if USC is paying, at the means if WWE is paying her well, then I'm all for it. So it was a good little run she had in MMA, but I'm hope that her WWE career is successful. Now we have Luke Rockhold saying that he's the only one that can beat Izzy. <sighs> Here's the thing, right? Luke Rockhold actually has very good grappling. He has very he's his grappling is extremely good. Like there is dudes who are high level black belts who Luke out grapples, and that's a known thing. I'm not just talking out of my ass. Everyone in the MMA sphere knows that. We've seen it before. So Luke's grappling. If he's able to grapple Anasanya, he could give Anasanya some problems. Luke outgrappled Chris Weidman, for God's sakes. Like, his grappling is legit. Legit, legit, legit. Here is the issue with Luke, and here's why I don't take this seriously. One, Luke has chin issues. And two, he has the eagle the size of fucking... I'm trying to think of something that's big or astronomical and nothing comes to my mind right now. But Luke's ego is fucking huge. So I, I can't expect Luke to go in there, get a fight against Anasanya, and out and try to grapple Anasanya. I know Luke loves striking and he fancies as a striker, so I think he would try to strike with Anasanya. I think he would get put away or completely outclassed. On top of that, Luke Rockwell would have to get a win, get a couple wins in order to fight Anasanya. So, and I think he's next up to fight uh, freaking, what's his face? Borachina. So, I, I, I <laughs> it's just, I can't take it seriously because Luke is just talking, you know, out of his ass. He does have very good grappling. I think if he grapples, could give anyone problem at the vision. But the, the question is, is he going to actually grapple? Which I don't think he would because, again, the dude is just arrogant and he's going to want to strike, which would be as detriment. Now, Nate Diaz slaps a reporter backstage. I think that guy was talking crap about Nate Diaz's teammate or like, I don't know, like like saying because his teammate had an upcoming fire, maybe he's going to lose or gave analysis, something along those lines. Nate Diaz smacked the mic out of his hand, slapped him. Here's the thing, bro. It doesn't matter what a reporter says. Don't put hands on reporters, bro. Don't put hands on the media. You don't put hands on the media. They're just there to do their job. Now, if the media says something about you or criticized you or says something you don't like, then you can have the John the John Jones wrote that's like, yo, I just don't, like we did Lou Thomas, like I don't want to talk to. Like, that's fine. If you're not obligated to talk to media, if you don't want to talk to media, but you can't be going, you can't be going out here and putting your hands on media and start smacking people for no reason. That's unprofessional. It's a bad look on the UFC. I don't understand why the UFC still tolerates this. Granted, they're not going to cut him because they want to fucking make a profit on him. But either way, like he should be fined or something. You can't just go around smacking the media. It's a bad look for MMA, bad look for promotion, and bad look for fighters alike. And on top of that, now the media is going to be scared to actually do their job, which they don't ask much questions anyway. So come on, like 
it's just a bad look and Nate Diaz been doing these antics for far too long and honestly I'm fucking tired of it man I really am I'm tired of people making MMA look bad I really am um, now I want to get into the Petri predictions aspect of this podcast now I'm going to be going over next week's card UFC Desanyos against Fazayev a little bit of Rafael Rafael crime I think Fazayev is going to win this one I think Fazayev is going to win this one Granted, Desanyos has very, has pretty good grappling, but Desanyos is past his prime. Fazayev has very, very good striking. I just see Fazayev either putting away Desanyos in the fourth or fifth or edging out a decision. Um, then we have Douglas Silva D'Andrej or against Saeed Narmagomedov. Now, Jesus Christ, Douglas, you gotta have the longest fucking Brazilian name of all time. You have Silva and Andrade in your last name? Like, Jesus Christ. But Silva is a BJJ expert. Saeed Namagomedov is wrestling. Anyone with the last name Namagomedov is a very good wrestler. He submitted his last opponent. I think it was. Um, crap, who was it? I forgot his name. Um, but either way, both men are fighting at 135. I see Nurmagomedov out grappling Douglas. I see Nurmagomedov out grappling Douglas. Now, the issue with that is Douglas is BJJ. So I know Saeed would be able to take him to the ground, but would he get caught in the submission or not? But I think overall, talent-wise... I think I give this one to Saeed. Now, I'm not betting on any of these fights, to be honest with you. I'm really not betting on any of these fights because I'm not really confident in any of these fights for the most part. And I just took L's nonstop last week. So I'm not going to say for you to uh, to bet at any of these fights that are I'm talking about now. But I, yeah, I, I, I give this one to Saeed. And those are only, the only two fights I'm going to be going over. The fight card is not the best. I'm going to be honest with you. It's really not the best. It's not the sexiest. It's not bad, but it, it, it's not that great. But then again, the fight cards that don't look that good always be the ones that be outperforming all the other ones. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's nonstop finishes this entire fight card. It's usually the ones that look like duds are the ones that are the best. So... That's it for episode 10 of round 6 MMA Talk to Fight After the Fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. This is going to drop Tuesday, 7 a.m. as always. I hope you have a happy July 4th and looking forward to talking to you guys next time. Bye.